This message is brought to you by DoNotAge.org, the longevity research organisation that's on a mission to extend health span for as many people as possible via products that actually work. Start your journey today at DoNotAge.org and use code LAMA for a 10% discount. That's L-L-A-M-A. Hello and welcome to the Llama Podcast. I'm Peter Bowes and Llama, Live Long and Master Aging is where we explore the science and stories behind human longevity. Now, what if we could continuously monitor the inner workings of our bodies, those vital biomarkers that are indicative of good or bad health? What if we could modify our lifestyles to try to live long and stay healthy based on a stream of data sent directly to our handheld devices? Well, my guest today, Ben Huang, is pursuing precisely that goal. Ben is a biologist and CEO of Profusa, a San Francisco-based company that's developing a biosensing platform which delivers information about our body biochemistry in real time. I met Ben at the most recent TED Med conference in La Quinta, California. Ben Huang, welcome to the Llama Podcast. Thank you so much, Peter. It's great to be here. And it's good to see you. You know, one of the challenges as we monitor what's happening in our bodies, as we pursue longevity, as we pursue healthy aging, is understanding what is happening at a, a biochemical level, because ultimately that's what affects how we age. So what difference does it make if we eat a bar of chocolate or what difference does it make if we fast for 16 hours to blood sugar levels, for example? And that's precisely what your company is pursuing. So can you explain to me how are you looking at this challenge? What are you doing to make this easier? Sure, Peter. We recognize that monitoring an individual's biometrics, if you will, is critical, I think, for uh, allowing us to actually understand how our actions and choices directly impact uh, how our body actually reacts to those actions and choices. And we are so fortunate that we're in a place where we literally build off the shoulder of giants. There are a lot of people with a lot of effort behind this. Some of the simple wearables, for example, that keeps track of your step, keep track of your heartbeat, etc. I think are trying to touch and scratch on the edges of if I do certain things, can I improve my stamina and, and health in any particular way? I think, unfortunately, those efforts fall short a bit because for a couple of reasons. I mean, one is because what they're measuring are not necessarily a direct indication of one's biochemistry, which really is the endpoint that we're actually thinking about. And the reason that's important is because the wealth of clinical data and clinical evidence that have built up over the last decades, uh, if not centuries, are all based on biochemistry, things that physicians currently look at today, as opposed to things like steps, where it's very tough to actually draw a correlation between steps versus your health status. And so we took on the challenge as a company to say, can we marry the best of both worlds, which is create an opportunity to measure biochemistry, which a physician is looking at, which an individual at home, if you do a little research, you can understand blood sugar and what's that correlation to one's health. But do so, get that kind of information in a way as easy to get as wearing a watch or as wearing a wearable. 
And we think we've got a really, really good solution to make that happen. So what is that solution? What, what are you producing? Yeah, so we have a little um, sensor platform. And when I say sensor, I'm going to put quotes on that. Uh, when people think about sensors, they think electronics, they think uh, a lot of batteries and gadgetry. It really isn't that case. We, we figured out and understood that in order to get accurate biochemistry information out of the body, you really have to go inside the body and make the measurement directly. We think that's a fundamental tenet that's going to be pretty hard to get around. But uh, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, when you put something inside the body, your body is exquisitely good at determining between what belongs inside and what doesn't belong inside. Any of us who's ever gotten a splinter would understand that. The little sliver of foreign body inside the body you start getting inflammation, and if your body can't get rid of it, it wraps scar tissue around it to try to isolate it away from the body so that that foreign uh, object won't do any harm. Your body wants to reject it as soon yeah, as possible. Ex exactly. Now, it's great as a human species. You and I celebrate it, because without that foreign body response, we wouldn't be here speaking to each other today as a species. But for a technologist trying to make measurements inside the body, that's actually a big bummer. It's a really big challenge. And we've actually overcome that biological challenge. We've developed a little little sensor, uh, which is a width of a few hairs, about two and two to three millimeters long. It fits inside the interior diameter of a 21-gauge needle, which is this, uh, a typical hypodermic needle that would be used by a physician to either draw a vial of blood or, or uh, give you an injection. And that little sensor, when placed under the skin, instead of eliciting that foreign body response that I described earlier... Uh, it's made in a way where bo the body actually doesn't mind it being there. Not only does it not mind it being there, it actually grows healthy tissue throughout that material in a, on a microscopic level. And so if you think of it, it's actually, to use a crude analogy, it's like a Trojan horse that you can introduce inside the body. And now if you decorate that, uh, that material with sensing chemistry that will bind whatever it is that you want to measure, whether it's oxygen or glucose, then you have an ability to immobilize that chemistry and measure inside, in situ, inside the body, uh, what the level that chemistry is. The benefit of doing it this way is that that sensor that we put inside the body, it's tiny, it's small, and so you don't even see it. It actually, the reaction happens in the background. You don't think about it. But more importantly, because the body doesn't mind it being there, that sensor lasts for years. I was going to say, if your tissues grow around it, uh, how long is it there? Potentially forever, or can it be removed? Yeah, well, it definitely can be removed. Anything could be removed. But there's no need to remo remove this. The, the foreign material that we put inside the body is so small, and it's got such a long predicate history of safety that's studied in other devices and such, that there's really no reason to, to, to remove it. And, and, but, but importantly, beyond the lack of removal, is because the body doesn't mind it being there, there's no scar tissue around it, the local environment for that sensor, when we place it in versus a month from now, two months from now, a year from now, that local environment is the same. There's no scar tissue around it. And, and because the local environment is the same, that sensor now has the ability to actually function for a very, very long time. So contrast that to sensors that are used to monitor diabetes, for example, these continuous glucose monitors. Most of those uh, devices, you have to change it uh, out in a matter of days, if not a couple of weeks. Whereas our sensors, the first uh, sensors that we have that measures dissolved oxygen, they're working for more than two years. And when you add the, the, the size, the longevity of usage, one, one little poke on the skin gives you usability for, for years. 
when you add the fact that data acquisition now is as easy to, to get as wearing a watch because it's completely non-invasive and just in the background, and the cost of this because the system is so simple, we think the adoption could be really, really significant, not just inside the clinic to manage diseases, but also in places where individuals are just interested about their general health and well-being. Uh, we think it could really change the way we think about health and longevity. And just to recap, the process of implanting the sensor, you say a little poke in the skin, it is like just getting an injection? It's literally like just getting an injection. There's no other additional burden other than think about the last time you went to a doctor to get an injection. That's exactly the same experience. The beauty of it is because you're measuring biochemistry now continuously over a long period of time, Instead of getting multiple pokes, if you will, during that period where our sensor is working, one poke replaces many. And this is a sensor that works independently. It doesn't need any sort of energy source. Well, that, that's correct. Once you put it inside the body, the material is completely passive. It doesn't require any energy source. It does not. There are no batteries to change out, for example. And it so couldn't once be it, at that size. <laughs> exactly. So once you put it inside the body, it's there. The way you read the signal, the energy source is actually on the outside of the skin. So the way you read the signal is there's a reader on the outside, and that reader just fires an, an excitation light through the skin, and that excitation light interrogates the sensor. And because the sensor, the signal is transmitted optically, just light through the skin is what's picked up by the, sensor, uh, by the reader on the outside. So where in your body do you have the sensor? It depends on the application. It, it really does. I think... The physiology of your body is going to dictate what you actually do with it. So, for example, our sensors have a particular clinical application which monitors tissue oxygen perfusion. So there are certain diseases and conditions in which blood flow to a certain area is drastically compromised, which means that the tissue die and you have wounds that will not heal. In those applications, you put it right next to the wound, and when a physician is intervening, try to restore blood flow and restore perfusion in that area, our sensors could pick it up in real time. So that's a very localized measurement. In measurements such as uh, for glucose measurement in diabetes or in healthy uh, folks to try to just manage their metabolism better, uh, you could put it closer to your body, whether it's in the upper arm or uh, around the midsection, which is where current CGMs are placed. And that area would, have, would give you a much more systemic a measurement on what's going on throughout the entire body. Can you give me a, a range then of the, the kind of measurements that it can make? You've mentioned blood sugar. What, what about lipids and that kind of thing? Yeah, so um, I think in theory, Peter, these devices or our sensor can measure almost anything. The, um, uh, without getting too technical, the sensor actually measures a compartment that's called the uh, subcutaneous space. So what it measures is the interstitial fluid, basically the fluid that bathes the cells, not inside the blood vessel. So as long as the molecule that you want to measure or that the molecule of interest you want to measure is available in the interstitial fluid, then we're in good shape. Now, by the way, that's almost everything that's important, right? Because uh, your, your lymphatic system, your blood uh, vessel, and your circulatory system, basically they're just bringing nutrients to your cells. It's what your cells see and experience is what's important. That's a, that's a compartment that we actually measure. So I think that's one criteria. The second criteria is the abundance of the molecule. We could actually get really, really low abundance, but there's certain things where you start counting molecules. You know, there's some viruses, for example, right, that one or two viral particles could actually start a cascade for you to become infected with something. When there are that 
low in abundance, there's probably a limitation of detection for our sensor platform. But for the most part, our sensors are actually quite good and accurate at measuring the important analytes uh, that your physicians will actually be uh, are interested in or are looking at today. And for those of us who uh, are interested in, in longevity and hormone levels, for example, uh, IGF-1, the one of the growth hormones, potentially you say you could almost measure anything. Presumably that comes into that category. That, that's right. So the, the trick, Peter, is um, if you understand the biological problem that we solved in our sensing platform is that we could deliver a material where you can immobilize sensing chemistry inside the body where the body doesn't mind it. So the question is no longer how do we deliver that sensing modality inside the body. The question is, what is that sensing chemistry? Because if you have it developed, we likely could deliver inside the body and be able to measure it. And so currently, our focused efforts are around chemistries that are on these more nominal blood tests and more normalized blood tests. The, uh, as I mentioned, blood gases, oxygen, CO2, glucose, lactate, pH, uh, some electrolytes, etc. But going forward, clearly there's no reason why we wouldn't develop the lock and key model to be able to detect, for example, the hormones and maybe certain drug levels and, and others. So where are you at now? Clearly this is in the development stage. And is this sensor regulated yet? Uh, it is It is going to be regulated, and we celebrate that, quite frankly. I think any time you actually develop products where you expect to create tools for people to make very high-value decisions about their health and well-being, I think there ought to be some standards that you uh, uh, establish, right? So and just, just to explain, we're here in the United States. So what right. would that regulation process be? Which body would it involve? Uh, so it would be the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration in the United States. Our first product, the oxygen sensor, it has been uh, approved in Europe. Uh, so we received our CE certification uh, this year. So we will be in clinics with these sensors to uh, manage wound care and wound healing, which is a really uh, large and significant uh, clinical opportunity. And we're looking forward to be able to help that patient population live their lives better and live their lives fuller. As we go on and we add other analytes to our program, glucose and lactate, et cetera, uh, those are just kind of on the rhythm to, to come online. So it is regulated. And fortunately, we have gone through that regulatory approval in Europe and will be uh, approved in the U.S. shortly. Now, this is fascinating. It, it really does open the door to continuous monitoring of the, the, the vital levels of, of certain components of our body, which I think as we go forward and we want to try to, to master aging and, and longevity and figure out what the external factors that we involve ourselves in, the, the foods that we eat and the environment that we live in, what that is doing to our bodies internally, it really could open doors, couldn't it? it absolutely. You know, it's why I'm so excited and we're so excited as a group, as a company uh, about this application. I think the impact uh, are along two vectors and both of those vectors are incredibly important. I think one vector you touched on, which is the continuous monitoring of your biochemistry. You know, um, I don't think I could over, uh, uh, over-signify that point and how important that point is. Right now, if you uh, want to figure out what your biochemistry is doing, you need to go see a physician or you need to go, see, go to a very highly specialized human performance laboratory to be able to get you know, uh, uh, samples of your blood or a little tissue biopsy to see what, how things are going. And then you go home and then you, take a, you do that again perhaps a few months later and basically you have bookends of static pictures 
but you don't know what's going on between those visits and what your daily activities and choices are in terms of a bearing on that biochemistry going up and down. And so the, the important issue of causality is lost, right? So what choices are you making today on what lunch you're eating, what foods you're intaking in the afternoon, and how does that choice impact your biochemistry at that moment where it matters so that you don't make that choice again in the future? That body of information is lost, and I think that causality is actually quite important to be able to get. And measuring biochemistry in this way, long, longitudinally and continuously, will give you that vital piece of information. And of course, with the advent of, of wireless technology and, and body computing, there is the potential, I assume, to use your kind of technology with a system that will transmit data straight to your doctor or to some sort of monitoring platform so your doctor can be alerted, especially for at-risk people, if there's a potentially dangerous situation. Absolutely. And I think it's, 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 the, it's the mechanism of actually being able to interact with your physician at the time that it matters. And this platform, clearly, when the data comes out of the skin, it goes to the cloud and it could be beamed anywhere, obviously securely and with the proper safeguards in place. And I think that's probably important because I mean, you say you could monitor in real time your glucose levels. Clearly, we're not all educated enough to the exactly. level to make decisions and to act on that data. And that's potentially dangerous that if people are seeing readings that they don't really understand but think it means something and change their behavior accordingly. That may not be a good thing. Absolutely. And Peter, and you, uh, it was, you raise a really, really important point. I think uh, folks who are listening to this ought to understand and gain comfort in, in that we're not creating data for the sake of creating data. What we're doing is creating data that physicians are currently used to taking a look at. And, and we think of it not as replacing that physician-individual interaction, but actually augmenting and making it even richer because the physician now will have even more information to give you the proper advice. The data coming in based on what you're doing at the same level when you have a physician or a practitioner that's trained to look at what that data means and be able to engage you in that conversation at the time that it matters, I think that's what this data actually is meant to do. But secondly, beyond that, we're different, and we celebrate those differences. We ought to as a human species. Um, I'm different than you. You're different than the other individuals that are actually out there. And by the way, it's not just that we're different from each other. We're different in the morning, in the noon, and at night what we ate last night, how much rest we've gotten, etc. And having a continuous stream of biochemistry out of our body and doing it so easily, if you will, allows us to actually create a, a, a greater and more complete picture of ourselves as individual. And so what is normal and healthy for you likely will be a different definition than what is normal and healthy for me. Right now, the way medicine is practiced and the way biochemistries are tested, it's very difficult to tease that out. The normal range of blood sugar for you and I, when we go see a doctor, that range is the same. Whereas I think over time, when you can measure your blood sugar level, using that as an example long term, and be able to link that up to how you feel and the causality of your actions to, how, to, to the outcome, you can start defining a profile of what healthy means for you and for me individually. And I think engaging the doctor to be able to talk about your health status as you, Peter, as opposed to your health status as you, 
a, a person of your age and demographic background, I think will be incredibly powerful as well. And you can see the huge potential in this, that with a, a basic level of education on how to read the data, imagine having that knowledge where you eat that meal that you might think is going to be bad for you, that fast food meal or, or whatever it is, and then you see in real time what it's actually doing to you, what it's doing to your blood sugar levels or, or whatever the, the data is. You can see people thinking twice about that meal, knowing at a, as a fairly basic level what it's doing to you, whether it's good or bad. You don't need to know the nth degree of, of all the biochemistry, but just the basics. I think it's going to change, it would change people's lifestyles. I, I would hope so. I'll give you a personal example. We, uh, My wife and I are very fortunate to have three beautiful, healthy children. Uh, our youngest daughter is two. When my wife was pregnant with Gracie, she uh, developed uh, gestational diabetes. And so she was monitoring her blood sugar all the time and trying to monitor what she's eating to keep the blood sugar under control. And we, were, we had an experience where we were having lunch at a restaurant, and she ordered this salad, very innocuous, seemingly healthy salad. But the, the, the dressing itself, uh, she didn't realize, was spiked with a lot of sugar. It was tart, so it tasted sour. She said, well, this got to be good. It's a vinaigrette. But it turns out that the recipe for that dressing, because it's so sour, they had to add a lot of sugar in it to make it, uh, to make it palatable, if you will. And her blood sugar spiked out the world. You know, out. Now, luckily, she was monitoring herself with a finger stick uh, frequently enough where she recognized that. But that's exactly the type of experience that you would think could actually be very beneficial for individuals. That if you have a long, if you have a continuous stream of information, is the same kind of data that you would get on your phone uh, when you try to drive to a new place where you, you're not looking. That the the data that you get in real time will change the choices, or at least influence the choices at the moment that it matters. If there's a traffic accident two miles down the road you're going to take an alternate route. And I think with biochemistry data here, you could get that same type of benefit, which is, hey, if you eat this, look, your blood sugars actually start going up, stop, order something else. I think that'll make a big, big difference in people's lives. And you will likely get that message through your mobile phone. That's through. where we get our information. That's where the alert will come up exactly. about your blood sugar level spiking. Exactly. And blood sugar and what you eat is just one of the many, many choices that you could. It's an obvious one and a very important one, but it's just one of many. Uh, if you're an athlete and you're training for a triathlon, for example, you really want to optimize your, your training. Having a continuous stream of blood chemical information that comes out could tell you, hey, stop. You might feel mentally that you could go far, uh, farther, but you're reaching the state of anaerobic uh, consumption in your muscle. You're starting to kill your muscle cells. Just stop because right now you're actually harming your training rather than uh, doing it a service. So there are many applications here that we're really excited about. And quite frankly, we also feel like we may not be smart enough to figure all these applications out. I think a tool like this likely will spawn a brand new generation of how people think about health in a very different and productive way. I think we should also recognize, I and mean, this fascinates me, but I'm sure a lot of people listening will be saying, well, do I really want to be governed by my phone every time I have a meal? Or do I want this data staring me in the face? It, it, there comes a point when you've got to say enough is enough and you've just got to get on with your life. I, I absolutely agree. I think the way you think about that, or at least we like to think about it, is it's up to you to decide how valuable this information is for you. 
And so we're bombarded with, inf- with information all the time as it is. When you think about all the marketing messages that we get on our phones, the pricing differences that we get everywhere, uh, you know, the, the temperature, how cold and hot it is outside, we develop the filter depending on your circumstances, what is important to you and what is not important to you. And I think we'll probably think about this biochemistry information in, the, in very much the same way. There likely will be a set of data that's important to you because you worry about, for example, your metabolism and whether you could keep your weight at a certain level. Whereas for somebody else who's training for a triathlon, might really worry about muscle consumption of oxygen and how their tissue uh, is actually doing, especially during the training period. And that's okay. It's up to you to determine what's important and what is not important. But it, as long as the data adds value to your life and what you actually want to do and you have that choice to either ignore it or embrace it, I think it'll be good. You're holding a little vial there. We haven't actually talked about this yet, but this, uh, I, I assume, uh, includes a sensor. It is. So, um, And this is what, uh, three or four centimeters long, this vial, about a depth of about a centimeter? Yeah, so the uh, unfortunately the... Um, technology of the radio can transmit images but i'm holding a vial Uh, it's a cylindrical glass vial and inside the vial is filled with fluid inside the vial there are four of these sensors floating around so you see you see that each one of the green slivers that you see inside is an individual sensor oh i can see them just floating around that's right that's how little goldfish that's right that's how small it is yeah if that, that material, if I take it out of the vial and you feel it, it's actually soft and pliable. It's a consistency of a soft contact lens. I most of your listeners would understand what that means. Exactly, yes. I, I mean, really, this is a, a clear vial, and it, it just looks like a few hairs. Exactly, right. A few and eyelashes. That's, that's right. That's yeah. the sensor. That's what we put inside the hypodermic needle, and that's what we actually deliver under your skin. Each one of them is a sensor. And once we place that under the skin, you kind of just forget that it's there. Incredible. And so how close are you to this becoming a reality? It's still at the experimental stage for most chemical detections. That's right. So as I mentioned, I think the technology is proven in the point in the way that the first clinical application of this to to manage critical limb ischemia patients and wound care patients uh, in Europe is a reality. So from a regulatory technology development point of view, we're, we're there. What's required going forward then is what other flavors do we develop? Uh, We can measure oxygen, we have a program measuring glucose, we have a program measuring lactate, we have a program measuring uh, ethanol. There are certain things that we're doing now that are just adding on to the capabilities platform so that we can measure more and more and more. And we are uh, constantly looking for uh, not just internal research opportunities, but also external collaboration opportunities to push this platform forward. I was going to say, you're, you're a private company developing this. Are, are you involved in any collaborations, any clinical trials or anything like that? We are. We are very fortunate that uh, we uh, have a lot of really strong research collaborations that are going on around uh, the country and, and some around the world. Our company has it, had its start in a government-funded beginning. The company was started in 2008-2009 timeframe, and for those of us who don't remember what that time was like, it was right after the financial crisis. So getting private investor to invest in your idea was almost an impossibility, if not an actual impossibility. And so we got our funding from the U.S. government, from the National Institutes of Health, as well as from the Department of Defense, the Department of Advanced Research Project Agency, or DARPA. And both NIH and DARPA have funded us and supported us all along the way. So to date, we clearly have private investor as well. 
But a lot, a, a big chunk of our work is funded by these government grants, which means that we have the latitude and, quite frankly, the luxury to be able to explore many of these collaborations in parallel. So we have wonderful collaborations with academic institutions around the country that are working on different applications as well as different molecules for sensing modalities, and it's been a lot of fun. Let me ask you, and switching gears a little bit, uh, from a personal perspective, what is your attitude towards your own personal longevity? You know, um, I... It's so funny how we change over time. When I was younger, I never thought about it because uh, I think we're all immortal when we're 16 years old. And we're just focused on different things. I think. We're just focused on different things. That's right. Now that I'm a new father, as I mentioned, right, I have young kids. Boy, I sure want to be around for as long as I can to see what kind of outstanding citizens and contributors to society that they become. I uh, try to uh, live well in terms of my... Uh, work in terms of my mental uh, health and well-being. I try to contribute to, to society in a meaningful way to, so that my children could be proud of me. But there's a big chunk of me now where I'm starting to think about longevity as much as I can um, so that when Gracie gets married, I could walk her down the aisle. And, you know, before this podcast started, Peter, we had a really nice conversation about the new science behind it, uh, behind longevity and how multiple approaches are actually helping that out. And I uh, I sure appreciate those kind of conversations because I think there are lots that are working on now that increasing our productive life where we could live healthier and more productive, quite frankly, I think will solve a lot of social ills. And it is an exciting time. And we did, in fact, talk about lifestyle and, and how lifestyle sometimes gets in the way of looking after ourselves. And you, like I, we, we travel a lot. There are, there are stresses and there are airports and there are meals to be had or meals not to be had. How do you cope with that? You know, I, I, I try to get into as much of a routine as I possibly can. Uh, I think that's the way you do it. I think mentally... I switch, on a, uh, I switch on a switch when I have to travel to say, okay, my routine at home is now different than my routine on the, ro- on the road. And then when I get on the road, I try to get into a routine. You get on a plane, you just do certain things, and you uh, try to stay productive so the time would actually go better uh, spent. And I don't think I do a very good job necessarily on managing my personal health per se. I think there are a lot of opportunities for me to actually amp that up a bit. Without being too self-serving about the technology that we're talking about here, I'm excited about this technology for partially for that reason. We all need a nudge every once in a while. With all the best intentions in the world, all of us, I think, as human beings, uh, requires a little bit of support mechanism here and there for people to say, hey, your actions are having these consequences. Or, and, and that could come from your friends, your colleagues, your family, but it could also come from technology that every so often gives you a wink and say, hey, you know, just so you know, I'm not telling you what to do, <laughs> but your, the consequences of your actions 10 minutes ago is this. Are you okay with that? And I think a technology like this could really um, uh, help you make those choices better. I am going to watch the progress of this with a huge amount of interest. Ben Huang, thank you very much indeed. Thank you so much, Peter. It's been a lot of fun. And that's it for this episode. You can contact us through our website at llamapodcast.com. And many thanks to everyone who's been in touch so far. And also, if you've posted a five-star review at iTunes, as a number of you have, it is very much appreciated and hugely helpful to us as the podcast grows. You can also follow us and leave messages on Facebook and Twitter at Llama Podcast. 
Flexbeam is a portable red light therapy device that's now being used by leading athletes, including the Norwegian tennis player Kasper Rud. Whenever you put the Flexbeam on, you feel it starts to work right away. I need something that can help repair all the fibers that I have broken in the surfs. The infrared lights penetrate your skin and makes the muscle tissue recover faster. Flexbeam, I keep it with me all the time. Recharge Health is offering Llama Podcast listeners an $80 discount on the purchase of a Flexbeam device. Go to the website recharge.health and use the code LLAMA at checkout. That's L-L-A-M-A. You'll also find the link in the show notes for this episode.